Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition. It is May 25th, 2021, and we're up to episode 105. We are CFMLing and we are newsing. So much newsing right now. There is a quite a bit of news going on lately. We're in a conference season right in the, the middle of it. So uh, we've got quite a bit of that today. We got a yeah, few other interesting things. It should be like from the Newsies musical or something, you know? <laughs> that could be a cool little thing. And you want to sing it? I know you've got the musical talent here because I sure don't. If, if my daughter was here, she could probably just start dropping songs in that musical. I'll, I'll spare you because I really don't know them very well. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, if those of you who don't know us, I'm Gavin Pickin, a software consultant for Order Solutions, and you are Brad Wood, apparently. Another software consultant for Order Solutions, or whatever the that's title what, you choose today. That's what they tell me. Yep. Well, let's thank our sponsor, Order Solutions, because without them, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast. Uh, so they make all the cool stuff like Cold Box, Command Box, Forge Box, Test Box, and uh, most of the boxes out there. So if you want to say thank you to Audis for making this podcast possible, uh, there's a few ways we'd uh, recommend you take a look at. One is like and subscribe to our videos on YouTube. So you get notified when we go live. Uh, we're trying to hit that 500 mark of our subscription. So we'd really appreciate uh, a like there as well. Also, we have a video service called CFCast, which we'll talk about some of the new content later. But we have free and paid accounts available there. And there's new content every week. And we also have a, a few books. The most recent is the Audis new book, which is 102 Cold Box HMVC Quick Tips and Tricks, which is on Gumroad. And you can grab that right off the bat. Okay. And now, we also wouldn't be able to do this without our Patreon supporters. Right, Brad? That is, in fact, correct. Patreon supporters help make this happen. We have 36 patrons providing uh, roughly, give or take, 83% of the funding. And uh, we will name the uh the guilty parties i think at the end of the podcast yep and then obviously there's a couple extra perks which we'll, we'll talk about later in the show as well for being a patreon supporter if you want to find out more about um, supporting us via patreon you can go to patreon.com slash order solutions okay brad let's get into the news so uh we've got a new release for test box that just got released yesterday uh and so that is version 4.3.8 x i guess <laughs> uh, but what yeah 4.3.x what yep. no i will now run the command forge box show test box inside of command box and i will tell you what the current latest version is 4.3.1 build uh -huh. 436 uh -huh. and the bleeding edge is now 440 snapshot so we released 4.3.0 and 4.3.1 very quickly <laughs> I guess. Anyway, so yeah, so um, obviously just to install it using command box, just to install test box and do dash dash save dev. And remember, if you are installing dev dependencies, use that dash dash save dev. And that way, when you do install dash dash production, you don't get all the things that you shouldn't have in your production server uh, that already does production uh, dependencies. So anyways, there's a bunch of new features in there. Uh, we have a blog post on the Autos website telling you all about it. Um, but 
we're working on quite a few things now. And I guess there's a, a simple uh, reporter that can tie into your code editors now. So when you click on it, it'll actually go straight to that line of code uh, that failed in your test. It's kind of neat. So I know Luis has been working hard on that as he's been rolling out the content box updates. So 4.3 is out. And then we'll share the, the link to the blog post in our show notes and in the live chat too. Now, next up, we actually have a tweet from Brad, but I thought it deserved uh, mentioning in the news and events. So you want to tell us about this Java 16 and why it doesn't play nice with ColdFusion? <laughs> so I'm old enough to remember back when Java was this thing that would release like Internet Explorer, like 3.0, and you have like a six-year window, and then the next version would come out, right? Um, nowadays, in the, the modern and fast world where, you know, Chrome releases twice a day, Java is on like this six month cycle, right? And, it's, you know, Oracle's kind of deprecating stuff left and right. And so um, if you've if you've noticed, I, I test a lot on Java 14 locally, just because it's one of the last ones I'd updated to. A lot of times when starting Lucy server, you'll see in the logs, these deprecation warnings about illegal reflective access and how it's going to eventually be blocked in a future version. Well, Java 16 is that future version. So, um, and of course, these are all kind of intermediate releases. Java 11 is still the LTS or long-term support release. Um, so we have, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 are all little tiny, you know, Java releases, none of which are, are LTS releases. <laughs> and um, so in Java 16, Oracle finally tightened some of those screws and those warnings about illegal reflective access turned into now it's blocked by default. Um, and so Adobe Confusion and Lucy tend to, to do a lot of Java reflection behind the scenes, um, and especially the Apache Felix framework, which is now core to both Lucy and Adobe ColdFusion 2021, um, is all about the Java reflection. And unfortunately, some of those behind the scenes behaviors are now blocked by Java 16 unless you work around them with certain JVM marks and stuff. So what that means for you is uh, none of your ColdFusion stuff works on Java 16, period. So um, yeah, I, I put in a ticket for Lucy and a ticket for Adobe. Um, Adobe has a bit more strict support. You know, they'll officially say we support this version. Lucy's kind of like, yeah, sure. If it's out, I guess we support it. Let us know if it doesn't work. So I let them know it doesn't work. Um, there's a, there's a bunch of issues there. So make sure you, you don't have like a wide open, you know, just update my server to the latest JDK kind of thing going on. Um, like if you use homebrew or, you know, apt get on Linux and you're just, yeah, pull on latest JDK, use it with, with ColdFusion, you might get a nasty surprise if you suck in uh, Java 16. So on production, I definitely recommend your pin to Java 11. And it'll be interesting to see uh, on what kind of time frame uh, Adobe and Lucy address that. Um, Java 17 is supposed to be the next LTS release. Uh, we'll see how that works. Um, but anyway, just uh, to let you know, there's a lot of stuff being shaken up as expected, as promised in the newer Java versions. And so it'll be interesting to see uh, what the, what kind of scrambling our CF engines have to do to, to get support. So yeah, Charlie, on 11. Yep. Charlie just mentioned that. Yeah. For now, CF folks can ignore all, but Java 11 and eight until the late next LTS, which is 17, as you mentioned, comes out. So exactly. Unless you want to live on the edge, pin it, on, pin it to Java 11. <laughs> <laughs> yep it'll be safe and of course and java 8 java 8 is still also an lts release as well um and is still supported however on that note um there's talk of lucy 6.0 dropping official support for java 8 um it'll probably still work it just won't be 
officially supported. So that'll be that'll be interesting as well. What happens? When would Lucy Six be out? Any word on your magic? Uh... <laughs> you know what? I can't even figure out when Lucy Five Three Eight is going to be out. It's been a seven month plus release cycle for Five Three Eight. They're on release candidate four now, and there's always just one more thing they want to fix. Um, I know that that Zach Spitzer is helping PM Lucy is on a warpath to try to get Lucy Six out. I also know I'm old enough to remember, as Ben Shapiro <laughs> says, um, when Lucy Five took like two solid years to actually come out. Um, so I don't know. Supposedly, there's not actually any loader changes in Lucy Six, so maybe it's not as big of a shakeup. But I know that major versions tend to kind of get stuck in a giant, you know, uh, loop of just adding one more thing. So I, I personally, this is just Brad Wood's opinion. I think Lucy six could be a year away easily, but that's hopefully not. Maybe things get in gear, but I mean, it's taken seven months to get a minor or a minor release for Lucy five through eight patch release. So um, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare bet a single penny on when anything will come out. Yeah. But we do have a pretty good idea that, that Java 17 will be out in about six months because Oracle's actually been pretty much keeping on pace with cranking out the Java releases. So uh, I have a feeling Java 17 will be the next LTS release quite a while before Adobe and, and Lucy have support for it. But we'll, we'll see how that works. Yep. Long story short, you don't have to worry about getting rid of Java 8 just yet for Lucy because... You can probably stick on the five branch for quite a while too. I know a lot of people use four or five for a long time as well. So anyways, the, so that rounds up the Java stuff. Don't use 16 cause you can't. Uh, and hopefully, yeah, they jump on it. Um, <laughs> Charlie's like his money is on Adobe, not paying attention to this and finding out when uh, 17 comes out and everything's broken. Um, well, that's pretty that's, a that's, good that's, bit too. Charlie. That's why I put a, t a ticket in the Adobe tracker I pinged Mark Takata, the new uh, the new CF evangelist. I, I pinged Priyank, and I was like, hey, I, I know it's not official, but I just want to make sure it's on your radar. So hopefully it won't sneak up on them because Ortis has had clients, government clients, that require them to be on the latest LTS, and they were being pushed actively off of Java 8 onto Java 11 a year or so ago, even though Java 8 was still technically LTS. So hopefully people don't get stuck in a – in a tight spot where Java 17 comes out and some corporate mandate says, you have to use that. They're like, yeah, we can't use it yet. So. Yeah, for sure. Well, hopefully the tickets uh, do the trick and yeah, Mark is definitely on the war path. He's doing a great job so far as a new product manager. So hopefully that's a good sign. Speaking about Adobe, uh, in case you missed it, their seven episode Adobe webinar series on API creation and management finished yesterday. So we had uh, seven different episodes, oh, seven different webinars, I guess, not episodes. Um, but yeah, seven different uh, webinars um, from Brian Sappy. Great, great content for API creation and management. Um, and so I'm looking right now. Let's check it out on my shared screen for those watching. How many videos do they have in this series right now? So Right now, there's two in the API series, so we're still looking for some more. There are seven total. Hopefully, they'll bring the rest of them back uh, as they get them released. So, um, but yeah, some good content there, and APIs are the thing these days. So, uh, good to see Adobe supporting that and getting good content out there. 
Also, in case they missed it, uh, Brad, you had a webinar last week. How'd it go? I did have a webinar. Um, we had it. I talked. I said things, and people attended. Um, yeah, it was the What's New in Command Box 5.3, uh, um, which really included 5.1 and 5.2. I, uh, I had a whole page of, of features I wanted to cover, and I literally made it about halfway through them <laughs> in the hour's time. Um, so the recording is already on CFCast, I believe. Yep, I'll um, share the link to that. But there's all sorts of stuff, like the super amazing JQ stuff that Scott Steinbeck helped me with that I, I didn't even get to talk about. So um, the first thing I talked about in the in the webinar was the fact that the command box docs, commandbox.ordersbooks.com, have a new um, uh, release history section that has consolidated release notes from every version of command box starting with 1.0. Um, so if you want to go see some of the things I didn't even get a chance to, to look at, you can go to that release uh, history in the command box docs. You can click on the 5.1, 5.2, 5.3, and that pretty much covers everything I was going to talk about. So cool. that was that. Yep. So very cool. So that's why you started talking about it already. Let's talk about CFCast. So that's where the, the webinar is. And if you guys want to check out some new features, uh, we actually have it where now when you look at um, the series, you can see when the videos are going to drop. So let me share my screen for those watching. And you'll see that on the browse you can see the recent videos you'll see that there's quite a few from the object-oriented programming series so we have abstraction single responsibility features of good design code reuse extensibility testability and URML that was released seven days ago and there's your webinar here but if you go to the series now um, if you scroll down and go through the videos you see when everything was released but you can also see what is coming and when it is coming. So that's one of the new features on uh, CFCast. But as you can see, we've got inheritance, public versus private between components, oh, nice. multiple it's inheritance, soon, and using super. So yeah, so next week we've got four more videos. So 25th, that's today, right? So they should be getting five, uh, four <laughs> more videos today. It is today. I wonder yeah. if those are set to auto-publish. Maybe I'm not it, actually... it might be at midnight, yeah. Maybe. I mean, so CFCast is a, is a bespoke application written by the, the people at Ordis Solutions. Eric basically kind of uh, has spearheaded all that. I'm, I'm not on that team, so I don't really even know how half the code works, but I know it's pretty cool. So yep, it's nice. For sure. They so, add yeah. features to CFCast on a regular basis. Yep. So we got busy with that one. And uh, the cool thing about the OOP, Object Oriented Programming Series by Nolan Erk, is we're going to have closed captions for that too. So they've been working hard to try and make it uh, more accessible, more friendly. So we've got those videos uh, coming very soon too. And also we have uh, some new series in the work. So what's new with Coldbox 6, up and running with Quick, Logbox 101, and using Docbox. So uh, a lot of those videos are in editing right now, so they should be getting released over the next you know month or so. So uh, we'll keep giving you the updates every week on what's been re released recently and what's coming soon. So that's your update for CFCast. Okay, let's get into the conferences. It's pretty much a wide open conference season right now. Uh, a little more information has come out about the Adobe Cold Fusion Developer Week. So that's June 22nd to 24th, 2021, and that's online. Uh, if you go to the website, which I'll do for those watching, uh, you'll see that they've got some uh, some speakers announced there. 
There is a little bit of a red herring though. So if we scroll down and go to who should attend speakers, you'll see me, but I won't actually be attending. So uh, they'll be replacing me. Uh, I'll be in the South Dakota off the grid in a little place with no Wi-Fi, no cell phone signal. So I won't be there, but uh, a lot of great speakers, as you can tell. Charlie from the chats and Leo Louise, uh, some well-known names like Pete and Ray and Dan and Dave. I mean, they're all well-known. So, South Dakota. Yep. So, so really, Mount Marshmallow is? Yep. Right next to Mount Rushmore. That's where we'll be. So, you're gonna you're gonna go visit there? Mm-hmm. Yep, and uh, Crazy Horse and uh, oh, little yeah. town of Custer, I think, is right there too. Beautiful little town. My wife. There's some loves nice it. places there. My my family went out a few years ago, and we found this little cabin we stayed at right there outside of Keystone. It was in the middle of nowhere, and it was great. Yep, pretty. Well, cool. you'll be having so much fun. You won't be at a. Won't I won't be, be here. Adobe event. Nope. Nope. So, uh, so yeah, so a lot of good content. And if you follow them on Facebook and Twitter, I think more on Facebook, to be honest, they've started announcing, uh, what the talks are and when they'll be. So, uh, Ben Adele is coming out of, uh, his shy shyness and actually presenting too. So there's a couple little sneak peeks about what he's talking about. Won't this be Ben's first time actually presenting? He says he hasn't presented in a long time, but I think at conferences, it might be his first time. Yeah, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't ever, I don't recall like a conference he's presented at. People are always like, "Ben, you should present." He's always like, "Oh no, I couldn't possibly." Yeah, so I think they finally convinced him. They voluntold him he was doing it, and so <laughs> <laughs> he'll do fine. Yeah, the, the, Ben, if you're listening, the reality is nobody even knows what they're talking about. We just get out there and say stuff. So, yeah, forget about it. Pretty much, and I mean, he is the premier blog for cold fusion stuff it's the one that everyone seems to know so he should um, should know something about what he's talking about <laughs> did uh for apologies if you mentioned this and i was uh wasn't Sleeping. listening did you mention jorge's message a few minutes ago in the chat talking about the language translations they have going on cfcast no i didn't because they were having their own little conversation in lots of different languages in there our, and our so i missed it busy today it is. So yeah, they're, they're working on doing translations for CFCast, um, where we the, uh, the Vimeo we use to host the videos. You can create these files with translations that sync up with the video. And they're adding uh, English captions, Spanish, and Portuguese. Um, so you can watch like the, the OOP series with Nolan Irk. But if Portuguese or Spanish is your primary language, you can have, you know, custom made trans translations that people have actually typed and double checked that show up in sync with what he's saying in the video. So um, that's pretty cool. We're trying to make the CFcast stuff as accessible as possible. Yeah, very cool. Um, I did not see the message, but good point. Uh, there is a language filter, so you can flick that on and off. So, um, yeah, you can definitely do that. But of course, I can't find the the advertisements for the Confusion Developer Week uh, in Facebook right now. So I'll have to try and snapshot them but hopefully that means that the schedule is coming together and they should have like the full schedule announced pretty soon there um so keep an eye out for that but again june 22nd 24th so just under a month away uh bookmark that and get some good content okay so we have some other stuff right here in case you missed it uh google io was last week so that was may 18th to 20th it was online and free for everybody, events.google.com slash IO. And this week we have two conferences. So right now, uh, 
MS Build is going on. So Microsoft's conference, um, basically they are going May 25th, 26th, and 27th. And then uh, through that, and of course, it's not just .NET stuff. They have uh, VS Code, and they've got a lot of uh, great stuff with Azure and everything. So a lot of good content there. They're doing a lot of work with, obviously, now they own GitHub as well. So there's a lot of good content there for everybody, not just .NET developers. So uh, you can check that out at mybuild.microsoft.com. And again, when the podcast is over, go check that out. And then Thursday, we got DockerCon, Brad. You got to go check out some more brain-numbing Dockerness. Possibly. I'm busy talking about the panic monster in the chat. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> Talking yeah. about how, how people who give how give talk who give talks at conferences oftentimes you know put most of them together like two days before they actually give it. That's that's exactly how it works. I said that's two days before your prezos and the panic monster wakes up. If you haven't seen that TED talk, Google the uh, the, the, panic monster. Uh, the panic monster and the instant gratification monkey. It's a great TED talk. <laughs> it, it, it it precisely explains what's happened every time I've ever given a, a conference talk. But yeah, yeah, back to DockerCon, as you said. Um, so May 27th, that's in Dos Dias. Yep, um, two, days. two days from now. Free, one-day virtual event. Um, lots of content there, you said. Yeah, so lots and lots of tracks. So something for everybody from beginners to, to experts. Uh, great content. They've got a, a really good group. And yeah, I can't wait to maybe go to the live one again uh, next year. Hopefully if they're back. And then, okay. uh, and then for those who are Apple developers and lovers, not you, Brad, um, the <laughs> Worldwide Developer Conference is going to be June 7th to 11th. So uh, if you want to check that out. And they do have a Swift Student Challenge this year, so I'm kind of curious what they're going to do on that. Um, it's kind of neat. But, yeah, so that's Apple Developer Conference. And then a little later on in the year, um, we've got into the box and we've had a survey out there and I'll share the link to the survey, but we're basically trying to gauge how many people would actually be able to come to the conference if we did it live in person in September for into the box in Houston. So uh, it looks like we've got quite a few people have answered the survey. We really appreciate, appreciate your feedback. Uh, we're in number crunching a little bit now just to see, you know, out of the people that are said they might come or not come, you know, have they been to a conference before or not? Uh, but it's actually pretty good. It looks like some decent numbers. And like you said, Brad, 100% of the people you talked to today said they're definitely coming. <laughs> yeah, I talked to one person earlier today who said that that sounded like it'd be a great conference. He'd drive down from Oklahoma. I'm like, there you go. 100% of the people I've talked to today said they would totally come to ITB. Overwhelming support. Yeah, we, we've been debating internally how to interpret the numbers. It's, it's very difficult to get a feel for who would actually show up for an in-person conference. Because um, even our survey says, would you come? But what it doesn't necessarily say is whether or not the people saying, no, I wouldn't come would have come in the first place. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, anyway. we, we have some good numbers though. Um, but if you haven't filled out the survey, please do. Uh, we'd appreciate it. And that way we can uh, make the decision, but yeah, we'd really like to do yeah. it in person if possible. Um, and that's September. So what? One, two, three, four, still four months away. It looks like. Yep. Um, and hopefully God willing, stuff will, will be nice and open all over the place. I yep. don't know if international stuff will be open. That's really hard to say, but. Yep. It's, uh, 
<laughs> Scott said he's already going no matter what. So uh, he said he better tell Luis to make some room. Here we go, chats. Scott and Giancarlo. One hundred percent of the people in the chat who 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 have talked about that say they're going to go for sure. Yep. No, for sure. I mean, it looks like fun. Uh, a lot of us that were already planning to go to last year's uh, Into the Box have flight credits, and that's another thing, too. We're like, we have all those flight credits. You know, we may as well use it, so we may as well, uh, you know, do it in person. And uh, worst case, it's going to be an oldest uh, retreat, get-together, party, uh, hackathon. But I uh, would like to have you guys there, too. So I think there's some people that might come if we were just like, hey, the oldest people are starting around doing cool stuff for a week. I think people would just show up for that. Yeah, I was actually thinking we should just have an informal uh, week-long hackathon hangout. You know, yeah, COVID's- week-long Ordis hackathon. Just come hang out and we'll build stuff. I bet. Yeah, I mean, I'd come to that. Yeah, I think it'd be fun. So, backup plan, guys. <laughs> oh, and we might do a we conference could- while we're there. <laughs> <laughs> we-, we could have like a race where it's like each of the major box products, like who can close more tickets, you know. I'll have a command box hackathon. You can have a content box hackathon. Luis has a cold box hackathon. I'm yeah. saying it could work. Possible. Yep. And obviously everyone who came would learn a lot about things because we'd talk through stuff and, you know, it's good to have people hands-on in person. So, yeah. So backup plan, Luis. Hope you're listening. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so cool, cool. And then obviously we still have Into the Box Latam in December 2021. And uh, mm-hmm. I know that they're they're doing better. Vaccines are starting to roll out there and everything, so it's not quite as open as Texas is, but it's getting there. So uh, they're they're looking at maybe doing onsite in December as well. So things are going well. Okay, so if you need more conferences in your life, you can go to comps.tech. And uh, Mark Takata, if you're listening, uh, make sure that the Audis, the sorry Audis. Adobe's Developer Week is on the site because you can add CFML conferences to that list now too. So comps.tech, get them signed up. Okay, next up, let's talk about our blogs, tweets, and videos of the week. So the first one is a blog by Adam Tuttle and his namesake Adam Cameron was actually tweeting about it and stuff, but uh, I thought this was pretty good. That's what they call each other. We, We need to figure out who's older so we know who had the name first. Yeah, I, th- I think it's Adam Cameron, but I'm not sure. So anyway, Adam's blog post was called Testing Untestable CFML. Uh, he said he spoke at some length on his podcast uh, in, in February about testing. And he said he's had some realizations since then, so he wanted to share what he's learned. And so the long story short of it was, without a doubt, it was him that failed. It was 100% possible to write clean code. Uh, clean, testable CFML code and performant tests, but he just got stuck in a mindset, basically. And so that blog is about that. Share my screen for those watching. But yeah, so, I mean, basically something he said that he didn't understand with TDD until recently is the primary benefit, in his opinion, is that when you've written the test with the code, it forced you to write testable code. And that's one of the things I like the most is, yeah, it helps you make your code testable. It helps you make your code bitter i think so that's a, a big plus for that right brad uh yeah i agree um because it it points out early on in the process the the things that aren't very testable um you know we talk about this whenever Luis and i do our you know our test box trainings for clients as we talk about you know how, the stuff that's hard to test and a lot of it boils down to abstraction layers and of course you know how i turn every conversation into cold box you know, the fact of the matter is the cold box MVC framework is purpose built with testing in mind. And it makes things like 
you know, read directions, which you know, how do you test a CF location tag, right? Guess what? You can test it in cold box. We have abstractions around it. So, you know, uh, the CGI scope, right? The, the form scope, the URL scope, these are all things that cold box gives you like out of the box abstractions for. And obviously you can build your own, but it, you know, it always helps when you're starting with a, a platform that helps you abstract those things. But yeah, um, I, I like the direction of this blog post, which is basically the stuff that makes it hard to test. Um, is, uh, is how, did, how did he word it? That's what's making your code unclean. Unclean, yeah. it, it sounds like it yeah. has to go through a ritual cleaning process. Well, re <laughs> refactoring is that, right? <laughs> so, but yeah, he yeah, talks I mean, about data access objects was his solution mm -hmm. to Hibernate, you know, like basically with Hibernate, you could yeah. easily throw all your Hibernate queries and stuff straight in your service layer and the, with, mix in with the business logic. It's like, well, that's not really, you know, at, data stuff shouldn't be with the logic stuff. And, you know, if you put your SQL in through your service or in your handlers, people would say that's, you know, that's unclean, that's not clean code. And it's kind of right, you know, having a data access object for that helps separate it so you can test it better. And like you said, abstract it, right? Abstract it away. And so, yeah, so he's got some examples in here too. It's using the framework one, you know, but it's it's good stuff. So uh, it's a really good blog post. And, you know, it says he learned it over and over and over again, and then it finally clicked. And I think that's the way it works for most people with testing. You know, you, you know there's benefits. You see them, you hear them, you understand them. But until they click, you know, you don't quite see the, the full picture. So, but yeah, so I thought that was a, a really good blog post by Adam. So thanks for sharing that, Adam. Then next up, we have a, a blog post from Luis about TestBox 4.3. So we went over that briefly, but I'll share my screen just for those who want to see the blog post. Sure, those listening, sure. you can imagine. Um, but yeah, so it's got new text reporters. So the release has been revamped with the text and min text reporters. So you can get a, a more, you know, more stylized uh, report when running your tests. We also have editor URL integrations. That's what we talked about with VS Code. So now you can actually um, basically have a link that will take you straight into your your line of code. So you can actually see the code directly in your, your browser. There's a, quite a few bugs, some improvements, and some new features. So the blog post lays them all out nicely if you want to dive into that and get some more details. But next up, we have Adam Cameron. And uh, they've been... Uh, started with the working code podcast they have a, a book club and he recommended clean code um, by uncle bob to the podcast and so they had two episodes one of them um, is what started this uh, blog post for adam and so he's looking at code smells and the first he looks at a switch statement so do you want to explain what a code smell is brad and uh why it's not the be all and end all too. Cause I know that's one thing you said about uncle Bob's books. They're good insight, good things. But if you follow them like as lore, <laughs> you kind of hurt yourself sometimes, but it's, it's definitely a good guide, right? Yeah. I mean, a code smell is sort of a generic phrase. This means uh, a pattern or, you know, something you see in code that kind of makes you go, mm, I don't know if that's quite right. And oftentimes it can be an indicator of maybe a more of a systemic problem and how the code is organized. Not always. Um, you know, a, a, an example of a code smell could be the law of Demeter, which is if you have, you know, a line of code that has a bunch of dots, you know, object, dot, object, dot, object, dot, getter, dot, getter, dot, getter, right? You know, you may be breaking encapsulation with that. 
Um, but yeah, I, I have my own opinions on uncle Bob. I, uh, he has a lot of, a lot of books, and a lot of material. I had a coworker who once referred to uncle Bob as an opinionated old man with a blog, uh, which I suppose is also true. Um, I like uncle Bob's stuff, especially clean code. I, I personally like to take it with like a little tiny grain of salt and then see how much of it I feel like applying. <laughs> um, I think uncle Bob can, can err on the side of, of being more pedantic than a pragmatic, but he always has good stuff to say at heart. So, you know, Adam Cameron's blog here is looking at some code that Adam Tuttle wrote and then saying, okay, you know, uh, this, here's a chunk of code that appears to have some duplication over and over again. This feels like a code smell. You know, what would it look like if we refactor this? What if we made it do this? What if we made it more generic and use the evaluate statement? Um, and of course, you know, at the end of the day, have we actually made the code better or maybe you just, you know, push characters around and it's, it's not really more readable. Um, the, you know, having clean code usually focuses on, on readability and just be able to look at it and tell what it does naturally is one of the most important um, aspects of the code. So it's yeah. an interesting exercise. I, I sometimes see limited benefit in these sort of conversations because I think they can get tedious and sometimes you can waste time with them. Um, like for instance, I don't necessarily find the original block of code particularly smelly. I agree. If you look at it, it's got kind of, you know, some repeated stuff over and over again. It also, I mean, has like six or seven code paths that can go through and each one's slightly different. And so it's a switch statement with like six or seven cases. I mean, it's, it's kind of what it is. The question is, you know, can you condense some of that down? Um, yeah. And that was a good point, but the whole thing was, okay, at the end, it might be a little neater, but which one do you like better? And it's kind of an opinion, right? Because, yeah, the first part wasn't that bad as far as clean code goes. It was pretty clean. And so that I just like the, you know, the approach. And maybe this isn't the exact code that you'll want to refactor in yours, but it sort of looks through the ideas and, you know, and what you might look for when you're refactoring codes. And so, yeah, yeah. I, I disagree with... And, and maybe I'm just thinking of it differently. I disagree with Adam's paragraph talking about polymorphic handling. Because um, he has an, ex an example of what he's talking about using polymorphism. And polymorphism is just an object that can have multiple behaviors, right? So, you know, imagine uh, having a, a shape um, abstract base class and you have two super classes, a square class and a circle class, right? And they both extend shape and you have a get surface area method, which each of them override. So that would be polymorphism, right? You call circle.get surface area or square.get surface area, and they each had their own, you know, behavior that they've added to the base class. Um, mm -hmm. Adam talks about polymorphism, but in his example, it looks like he's just talking about wrapping it inside an additional function. Um, see, I think, in my opinion, that would be worse. That would be more of a Java way, because you, you, you would end up with like a base operator class, even like seven subclasses, with seven overridden methods that then just move that one line of code into a separate method. I think you'd end up with like four or five times the amount of code. And overall, yeah, Adam's, and then more know, instances, right? And the instant loading is not always the best. Right. So, I mean, yeah. Adam's sort of rule of his, his yardstick for the cleanness of the code seemed to be largely based on, you know, the number of characters and the amount of duplication. And I also don't want it to turn into code golf. So it's like, you know, I appreciate both of them, especially the like really nice clean API of just having, you know, an operation method that, you know, behind the scenes encapsulates everything. But I also like to be really pragmatic about the fact that this is cold fusion, you know, not Java. And, 
you know, there, there's seven different operations in a case statement with seven cases or whatever the number is. I'm like, I don't know. That's, I don't know that it would be any better to turn that into, you know, six or seven or eight different classes all extending each other with overriding methods just to be able to throw the word polymorphism at it. Um, yeah. And the, the good thing is here, he's like, he's hoping someone reads this and says, aha, all you need to do is this, and it becomes a much slicker solution. Because he said, like, it looks more pure now, but now it's less clear, you know? So it's, you know, <laughs> that's the process, right? You Kind of like normalization well, yeah. of a database. You normalize until it hurts, and then you <laughs> back it up yeah, until it's, it's good. Yeah, because Adam's code golf sort of example, that's like, what's the least amount of code, is actually a bit harder to read because he's using the evaluate function. He's dynamically creating expressions on the fly. And he even he even talks about that. So, I mean, if there's a good takeaway, and I'm hoping I think this is really Adam's overall point is think about your code and think about is this you know the cleanest way to write this. And as long as you can say this is a clean way to write this and this makes sense, people can look at this, they can maintain this. I think that's a win. Um, yeah. So it's kind of a, a cool thing that he went through like four or five different ifs. What if I did this? What if I did this? What if I did this? Kind of different approaches. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, you and your team can look at him and you can be like, oh, yeah, this one really is the cleanest, even though maybe it's a few more lines of code or vice versa. Yeah, I said the, the process is a really big takeaway for me from this. And, you know, it's thinking, OK, this is how Adam approaches. This is the sort of the process he'll go through, you know, and, you know, you you get stuck in your ruts doing your things your way. So I like seeing how other people work and think. And that's why I like looking at Ben Adele's stuff, because, you know, he thinks of it a bit differently. And, you know, it makes me think, oh, I didn't think about it like that. And then that's when you learn, right? Yeah. Bit of challenge, bit of growth. I wouldn't want to have this much discussion with a programming team about every single function of the code base. But right. having discussions like this on mm -hmm. occasion with example functions, I think is a good exercise. Yeah, for and that sure. can that can be done a lot of not not pair coding, but just you know like a, a group coding session where you have a projector and one person's typing code, and you go through these kind of discussions with the team. Yeah, we used to do that on JavaScript meetups. You know, we'd do a code cutter and look at all the different ways we could do it and why you would do something and whatever, you know, that type of approach. Yeah. So, well, speaking of Ben Adele, we have a blog post from him. And if you've been following along with Ben, uh, he's been working on this email system and he's up to part 15. <laughs> if Roman numerals are right, yep, 15. So uh, using ColdFusion custom tags to create an HTML email DSL in Lucy. So what he's did is help build one for his work and vision. And then now he started using it on his blog. But now, because he's using this to output blog content, uh, he's having to worry about user-generated content instead of before, which was all automated content from their system. So now he's trying to figure out, you know, okay, well, if they're using Markdown in their comments, which gets published via email to subscribers, I've got to be a little more careful. And so this process is like, okay, so what do I do? You know, so he's got an option one, do nothing, leave it alone. Uh, option two, wrap it into containers and use a style tag. Now this I thought was pretty cool. So he basically puts it in everything in a div uh, for the HTML comment. And then his div basically, you know, kind of does a reset. So just like a uh, bootstrap resets, everything, he has a whole bunch of styles here that will reset uh, all the content back to what he wants in it. So um, it was pretty interesting. And then option three, transpile into a custom tag DSL. Now this is more like Ben style. He's been in a lot of custom tags lately. So, um, so sort of walks through this approach. Um, he says it took him a week to get it working. So thanks for sharing all your struggles there, Ben, because uh, it'll be kind of tricky. But um, 
he actually passes it into XML DOM using HTML pass and tag islands. Oh man, he really went went to town with this one. So uh, as usual, really nicely laid out, spelled out uh, content. So yeah, I thought it was kind of neat. Like I said, again, looking at different ways to solve a similar problem. Like I would have never thought to have something like this, you know, for user content on my blog. You know what I mean? So. I like the way that people solve problems. And so if you guys want to see how he's uh, doing that, or the whole series is really good, to be honest. And uh, for those of you that hate custom tags, I think there's some pretty big wins for using them uh, in that series because they've definitely got their place. So, so yeah. Next up, we also have um, a tweet from Brad, which we already talked about. So the Java 16 is out. So we don't need to cover that one in too much detail again. So if you missed it, rewind a little bit and uh, go listen to, to Brad give a, a spiel on Java, LTS versions, etc. And then next up, we have another one from Adam Cameron. <laughs> this one might be a fun one for you, Brad, because I know that I you saw it, but I honestly didn't click on it. I never read it. I am, I could imagine what he probably said in it. So I just kept scrolling on Twitter when I saw it. Yep, so Adam's other blog was, I played the game. How long will it take me to find a new bug in Cold Fusion again after a few years? And the answer he said was about two minutes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he, he basically walked through. And again, this one is, again, not one that you need to follow the content for the content itself, but sort of the process. And so he was looking at um, something which is new in CF 2021, which is the REST operator. So have you seen this one, Brad? So basically, if you have a uh, you know function, yeah, I'm familiar with it. Though honestly, I all, I mean, I, I read the stuff about it on the uh, pre-release, and I'm familiar with that operator. I honestly haven't used it. I don't think Lucy supports it yet, and I don't really do any development on Adobe. So other than kind of shrugging and going, "Huh, that's interesting," um, I really haven't done much with it. It's I mean, it's sort of like it's it's kind of like argument collection, but a little different. Yeah, so basically you can say, you know, I have a an argument of uh, string and then anything else that gets passed in there, put it into a struct, essentially, or an array, sorry. And so um, in this example, for those watching, they pass in a string and then they pass in one, two, three, uh, in all different formats. So you can pass the a number one, the word two, and then an array with the word three as the second, third, and fourth argument. Uh, and then basically it puts them all into the second argument, which would be X in this case, because that's what we named it. And so, you know, it allows you to have maybe some search criteria where you have a bunch of different things. You don't want to spell them all out or you don't want to create like a, a search criteria class or something. Basically, you can just use, you know, a REST operator. Um, and then, you know, as Charlie said, the REST and spread are very compelling to people coming from other platforms, um, you know basically showing that CFML is more modern than people may realize because that stuff has been pretty cool in, in JavaScript. That's where I've used them before. Um, so it's kind of nice. You know, I don't know about that. People say that not to hate on, on Charlie. I love you, Charlie. Um, I only, I only question that just because I've, I've never once heard a, a JavaScript developer say to me, Oh man, I totally switched to cold fusion right now, but they don't even have a rest operator. Like just never once have I ever heard that. Um, 
to be honest, I don't think I ever heard a single person ever, even cold fusion developers being like, man, I wish I had a rest operator to be really honest. I group this particular feature in a group of features that Adobe added in 2021, which I consider more like they flipped through like a JavaScript manual. We're like, Oh, that looks cool. Let's add that to cold fusion. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, like, I mean, do we need it? It's kind of interesting. Um, Yeah. The spread one, I'm not too worried about. I'm sorry, the rest one, but the spread one I use more often. That would be in cold fusion. Yeah, I'm starting to use it a lot more. Uh, okay. Or, you know, I guess if I'm using Cold Fusion and I'm not, I don't think I'm in any projects I use in 2021 yet, though. So, but yeah, the spread one is very nice. So I use it all the time in JavaScript. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I do all the time in JavaScript that I wish I could do on Cold Fusion that I can't. And to be honest, I want to write a library that does some of the stuff because I always type them wrong too, because they always, you know, <laughs> do them a little differently. But, uh, slightly but yeah. different. But yeah, yeah. And anyway, so back to the blog post. I mean, so he's just working through, you know, looking for edge cases, um, and basically, he figured out that you can, you know, with your arguments, you can give it a type, right? So you could do a string s and a numeric x if you're doing single arguments, but it doesn't actually work when you're doing uh, with the, the rest operator. And so basically he found three different bugs. One is basically more of a, they didn't implement it. But the weird thing is if you start to mix and match like you did, ColdFusion just ignores different parts of your function definition. <laughs> so I don't know what to do with this. I'm just gonna f- pretend it's not there. And that stuff's really what usually irks me. Uh, you know, throw an error if it's not right. Don't just ignore it and do nothing with it. But anyway, so again, I like the the edge case type thinking. Um, you know, obviously he went out of his way to to test something and found some bugs, but uh, it's just one of those things where you know edge cases good for I'm when you're not testing. Particularly surprised that Adam found a bug in the REST operator. He may be like the third person who's ever used it, so <laughs> I wouldn't. If I were him, I wouldn't like sprain his elbow, patting himself on the back because he found the bug in a, a brand new operator that like all of three people have tried. So, yeah, but Adam definitely has that edge case thought process, and that's why he's you know he does testing a lot. He thinks like that, and that's what I like about testing is looking for the edge cases and you know and everything. So, but yeah, he he does seem to find the edge cases. That is absolutely true. Um. <laughs> Well, next up, we have uh, two podcast episodes. I've grouped them together. So we're the Working Code Podcast, episode 22 and 23. Um, that's a clean code by Robin Martin. So they have two episodes talking about it. Uh, and that's what spurred on Adam's, uh, you know, basically blog post looking at the that project of Adam Tuttles. And so, uh, yeah, if you want to have a look in here, see what they have to say. And they say they don't agree with all the concepts, but it makes the discussion pretty fun. So, um, yeah, I've actually read half of the book. <laughs> I got to read the other half sometime, but yeah, I just like the fact that it makes you aware of different, um, you know, different ways to solve problems, different ways to refactor that you may not use. And, um, obviously most examples are in another language. A lot of times they use Java, I think. Um, so it's mm-hmm. relatable, but yeah, not always exactly the same for cold fusion, but but yeah, I like the process, you know, to look at your code and evaluate it and think, how can you make it better, cleaner, more understandable? So, so what's up next, Brad? What's up next is Command Box 531 released. Have we yeah. not had a podcast since I released this? Um, 
this is the blog post for it. Last week we announced it was uh, released, and I added the blog post link after oh, that's the show. Right. Because so. I think you asked me about it, and I said, oh, yeah, I released it, but I haven't put the blog post out yet. Um, a lot of times I'll, I'll click the button on the build process, and the next day I'll get the blog post out. Yep. Um, yeah, so 531 is just a little patch update to 5.3. Um, it mostly, I mean, it only came out about two weeks after 5.3. It mostly contains some regressions uh, that were fixed, or some fixes for some small regressions in 5.3, um, specifically um, the... Uh, I have a little workaround that broke the .env module for people that updated because it's an underlying Wirebox update. Um, I have some some validation uh, in like a table printer when you try to print, you know, an empty array and stuff. I have uh, the table printer was supposed to read a file and that wasn't working right. We had that fixed. But there's actually a few uh, there's a few new features. Um, the the two main ones. Well, I, I have a bunch of I updated a bunch of the Java libraries. There, um, the uh, two feature, main features are the libdirs directory. And when you start a server and your server.json, you have app.libdirs. You can point to you know a folder of jar files that used to only load jar files in the root of that directory, um, which really kind of sucked because when you use the jar endpoint and command box by default, it sticks the jars inside of a subdirectory. Um, and so there wasn't an easy way to have command box install the jar and have the command box server load the jars. So the libdir setting is now recursive. It'll find all the jars recursively in hmm. subfolders um, and load them up, which gives you a bit more flexibility on that. Um, and then the, uh, the, 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 the print table command got a little brother. Um, <laughs> well, actually, the, no, the print table command was new in 5.3.1, wasn't it? Because 5.3 had the print table helper and then Scott Steinbeck helped me actually wrap it up in a command. So you can basically pipe like any JSON imaginable. It doesn't mean it have to be JSON. It could be a simple value. But you can take, you know, uh, an array of structs, an array of arrays, a query object, anything in JSON form. You can pipe it into the print table command and you'll get an instant little pretty ASCII art table generated in the console. And that can be just for playing around in the CLI or inside of like jobs and builds that you have running and you want to be able to like, generate a quick and dirty little report. Um, you can control what headers show up. And then Scott Steinbeck also added another super cool little uh, guy. I didn't get a chance to even talk about this one really um, in my webinar, which is the SQL command, which started growing as like a big like bolt on a functionality on print table. And finally we're like, you know what, let's just make this into its own dedicated command. The, the SQL command in command box, you can pipe again, any JSON you want into it and we'll marshal that JSON into a table. And then you can run on the fly query queries with a select or a where or an order by or a limit um, to manipulate that data on the fly. And then you can either redirect it to a file or pipe it onto the print table command. So one of the you know simple little examples in the release notes is you know um, catting out a JSON file, piping it through the SQL command to do some manipulations on it, and then pipe it into the print table, and you get this nice little you know tabular representation. So. It's kind of fun to see uh, JSON becoming kind of a first-class citizen of the command box CLI. It has been for a little bit um, to, to some degree, but this stuff makes you, uh, gives you even more stuff. You can play around with it. Um, and I see you got the, the blog post pulled up there. Yep. 
And we went over a little bit of it. We actually used uh, a quick little demonstration last week on the SQL command because we talked about um, Scott's new command box convert command uh, as our force box right, muscle yeah. of the week. And so, yeah, but this has got a lot more detail and does a lot more justice to it than what I did last week. So uh, definitely <laughs> check out this blog post for, for more information. Yeah, and there's a couple little tiny things in there are fun. Like if you deal with XML inside the REPL, it, it's formatted nicely on the output. Uh, I mean, stuff like that happens because I was using the REPL to play with XML and I was like, oh man, this sucks. I can't read it. I should make this be formatted. Yep, but anyway, sure. uh, you should be safe to update straight to, to 5.3.1 or if you're on 5.3.0, go ahead and pull yourself to up to 5.3.1. I was really hoping that Lucy 5.3.8 would come out and I could have 5.3.1 have the latest version of Lucy, which I also was hoping it would come out for 5.3.0, but I finally gave up on it. Um, and five, Command Box 5.3.1 is still using Lucy 5.3.7 because I like to stick with a stable version. So um, yeah. if and when Lucy ever drags 5.3.8 into a, a, a final release, I'll probably push out a patch that has that um, just because it's super stable. I've been using uh, Lucy 5.3.8 locally for months now, the release candidate builds. Um, in command box and, and it, it's really stable so yeah. anyway. and, uh, Luis made a crack about you and your Simver like you're releasing new features in a in a patch he's like that should be a minor <laughs> yeah I know I don't strictly follow the the release rules when I release stuff yeah I'm aware but I also don't really care yeah <laughs> okay well next up you had a, a tweet about the Lucy Microsoft JDBC drivers and how they dropped a whole bunch of new versions on April 30th on the extension and they're all broken. <laughs> so well, uh, I, I don't, I don't know if they're all broken, but I know that there's a ticket with a bunch of me too comments of people saying, yeah, these don't work. <laughs> so um, beware. But yeah, um, if you look at the, if you go to downloads dot, oh geez, I can't type uh, download dot lucy.org. And you scroll down to where the uh, the Microsoft uh, Microsoft SQL Server vendor Microsoft driver is, um, and you look at the release history, you can see there was oh geez like fifteen or so brand new um, versions of the Lucy extension, which packages the JDBC drivers, that all came out on April thirtieth. Which it's been twenty five days now. I think I tweeted this and it was only about two weeks old. But anyway, um, the Lucy had gotten way behind on releasing new versions of the JDBC drivers from Microsoft. And so it looks like they just dropped like 15 releases. Um, but if you look at that LDAV 3492, um, it looks like they don't work. Um, and there's like four <laughs> or five people all going like, yeah, us too. We updated this and, and it's just broken out of the box. It's a little disappointing to see that those releases are almost a month old at this point and there is what i like to call zero response from anyone at lucy going oh hey our bad let's you know pull these releases or fix these releases or acknowledge that we put out like 15 totally borked releases um so i don't know what's up with that that's not really super cool the good news is that Lucy extensions have a completely separate version lifecycle from the core of Lucy, which means you get to choose what version of extension you're on and you can just pin yourself back to a working version, which is not something I can say about Adobe Cool Fusion 2021's modular architecture. But anyway, 
Um, so just buyer beware on that. If you're in your Lucy admin and you're like, oh, look, there's an update available for my JDBC driver, click. Um, you may uh, you may get a boom boom there. So um, <laughs> a lot of people will hit that and they won't realize there's a ticket in. So I just wanted to make sure people were aware that there were, there were users running into issues there um, so they wouldn't get caught out in the cold with it. Cool, cool. Well, next up, we have another tweet, this one by Zach, but of course you are mentioned. Uh, so you and Zach were brainstorming through a performance issue uh, almost a week ago, uh, and you found a 8 to 10% performance improvement in running uh, Lucy test cases as an example. And apparently yeah. he says it's funny what you can achieve by coming down out one line of code. For <laughs> <laughs> um, sure yeah, my code works better that way. <laughs> It's interesting. Now, I don't know how indicative the Lucy test cases. And when, when Zach says the Lucy test cases, he means the actual test suite that's part of the Lucy build. Um, I don't know how indicative that is of uh, a normal application, right? Um, but yeah, Zach and I were talking about um, test box performance. So some of the newer versions of test box um, run a few seconds slower. Um, and we're talking about um, tests that, test cases that take a couple minutes to run. And so I created a super simple test box test suite that did nothing but just had like a thousand or 10,000 empty test suites, just a bunch of closure executions basically behind the scenes. Um, and then I used the Fusion Reactor Profiler, ding, 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 product placement, um, which is amazing. And in, in that particular case, I saw that a huge percentage of that sort of, I mean, it's a very contrived example, right? Um, but a very large percentage of that contrived example was spent behind the scenes with Lucy trying to parse um, incoming strings to see if they were a number. And the parse double uh, function in, in Java can be very slow if the thing you're trying to parse is not a number because it actually throws an exception internally, a uh, number format exception or something, which then gets you know caught in a try catch. And then the code goes on and does something else and says, okay, never mind, it's not a number. Um, and so Zach and I kind of springboarded off that and we were asking, well, you know, how can we optimize this, right? Because, you know, tens of thousands of times, Lucy's internally saying, is this string a number? Okay, never mind. No, it's not, right? And then, you know, the more we looked at it, the more we were like, why is this code path even running? There's actually no way this would ever be a number in this particular case. So it's actually, you know, Lucy shouldn't even be running this code. Um, and then from that, you know, kind of doing a bunch of, um, if you look through the comment thread, Zach just commented again this morning, um, you know, Zach found several different code paths that he could optimize um, based on... Um, you know, based on common use cases that was that allowed Lucy to more quickly say, you know, yes, this is a number. No, it's not. Um, because there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And part of it has to do with the fact that you can dereference structs and arrays using the same syntax in Lucy. I mm -hmm. tweeted about this the other week. Bracket notation and dot notation works the same. So you can have my array dot three and it'll give you the third index, right? So behind the scenes, Lucy has a lot of like, oh, they want to dereference this object. Is this thing a number? Yes or no? And then it decides, you know, how to deal with it. So yeah, so uh, Zach and I found a whole bunch of, uh, of interesting little, uh, you know, kind of shortcuts we could put into Lucy. Now, how much these will affect your application? I don't know. I mean, it might it might be minor, but um, yeah. particular chunks of code that hit that code path thousands of times, it, you know, it added up potentially to seconds. So it's always fun to to kind of dig those things out and find the little improvements. Yep. Okay. So next up, we have a new item on the list: getting started with a fusion reactor with Brad Wood. Now what? I never heard about this one before, Brad. What? What's going on that, here? 
that's because I just added that to the show notes a few minutes ago. Uh-huh. If I had a glazed over look in my eyes while you were talking earlier, it's because I was always actually, do. <laughs> I was actually chatting with Charlie Earhart, um, finalizing the session so we could get the links in here for the podcast. I've been talking to Charlie for a few days about doing this. So basically, I did a, a training for an Ortis client um, a couple of weeks ago. They basically had fusion reactor licenses. They had performance problems and they had no clue where to start. They, they didn't really know anything about fusion reactor. They didn't know how to use it. They didn't know what and all the menus they should start clicking on to really, you know, get going with it. Um, and so I sat down with their team, all of their, all of their developers and just gave them a like, Hey, you've never seen fusion reactor before. This is like the one Oh one stuff you got to know um, really basic things. And so I, I reached out to Charlie and I said, you know what, this might actually make just a good talk. Cause I I've actually had two or three, clients that have come through orders recently that had fusion reactor licenses and said to me, we really don't know how to use it. We're not sure how to get started. Where do we look first, right? What do we do first? So um, I said, I told Charlie, if, if you'd like, I could just, you know, turn this into a little 45 minute, you know, hour long uh, talk for people who maybe have a fusion reactor license and they're just not sure how to get started on it. Um, cool. So that's basically uh, what this is. If you're already pretty familiar with fusion reactor, this might be a bit of review. But I'm just going to show you, you know, obviously Fusion Reactor has like a thousand features, right? This is the getting started stuff to kind of get your feet wet. You know, how do you view running requests, your request history? What are your slow requests? How many database calls do your requests have, right? How many CFHTP calls do your requests making? Why is this request slow? What is this request doing when it runs for 30 seconds? Uh, those are the things that I'll cover. So that is Thursday, June 3rd at 12 p.m. Eastern time. So coming up in like, what, a week and a half or so? Actually, no, it's it's just like a week and two days. So, Yep, very cool. Yeah, like I said, that might be a good review. Uh, Obviously, Brad uses Fusion Reactor all the time, and he's pretty dang good with it. So I will be tuning in or at least watching the recording because I probably need a refresher or three. So... uh, I know that Charlie probably has some good Fusion Reactor ones on the online CF meetup as well, but uh, it's good. Yeah, it's good and Charlie also mentioned that Fusion Reactor's website also has some several getting started webinars. So yep. it's something that's been covered before, but given the number of people coming across my desk saying, we just don't know where to begin, it seemed like it'd be worth covering again. Yep, for sure. I was going to say, because Charlie, uh, it seemed like every couple of conferences he would do a Fusion Reactor session. And obviously Dave Tattisall and them would do it and they're always got a booth at most of the major conferences. But uh yeah, it looks like a, a good session. So cool. Thanks for hosting Charlie and thanks for doing it, Brad. Okay. Next up, let's find a job. So we have over 130 cold fusion positions listed since December. So that's pretty nice. Uh getcfmiljobs.com is uh the site we usually use to recommend those job listings let me share my screen for those watching and as you can see we have four new ones right now so we have cold fusion developer in fort washington we have a cold fusion developer at at crevicure that's i'm probably mispronounced that uh, really badly uh, looks french wait but it's in missouri yeah so i, was I grew up in missouri i've never heard of that place huh Maybe i'm also north. looking look Looking for a Colvision developer in Bangalore, Karnataka, and also an application developer in Mumbai, Maharashtra. My Indian pronunciation is terrible. I can play some cricket, Overland that's about Park. it. 
So Overland Park, Kansas is just a few minutes from me. I'm curious if that's a company I'm, I know. I know oh, most of the well, places doing a look and have a see. cold fusion. Practice match. City. Documentation, engineering, deploying of the web application. Well, so, Missouri. But long story short, uh, get CFML jobs is a great place to go if you're looking for a job or if you have one that you want to post. Um, you can post it, it's no charge, completely free, and they do scrape a lot of the major job sites as well. And then we are also looking for another developer for Auto Solutions. So if you guys are looking for a position, we have some job uh, listings and some needs. Um, I think that's under About Us Careers. Let me share my screen for those watching. So here's more detail. Um, U.S. time zone availability is a must and a citizen or resident with a work visa uh, is a must as well. A lot of the projects we're working on require those. So, um, but again, uh, pretty broad experience. Uh, and Luis even said last week, we don't even have to have Cold Fusion experience, but obviously most of you listening will probably do. Um, a good developer can learn Cold Fusion pretty quickly. So, um, but yeah, so a good... Good description there. If you guys are looking for a job, let us know. Reach out, and uh, yeah, we'll start that process. Okay, so that's our our jobs for the week. Next up, Forgebox module of the week. So module of the week. So I actually heard about this one um, with the podcast uh, and Adam Cameron's uh, code review for Adam Tuttle. Because there's a new project called Semaphore by Adam Tuttle, and it's up on Forgebox. Semaphore. Semaphore. And so Semaphore is a minimalist feature flag engine for CFML apps. Now, it is early days. Danger. <laughs> he says, Danger just begin Robinson. working on this project. It's not really useful yet. Uh, contributions are welcome, though. But I wanted to highlight it because, you know, this is something that um ben Nadell talks about a lot the uh, feature flags um they use darkly for feature flags and envision he's always talking about them um and so adam Tuttle's working on something and he's like uh, he created this because he got fed up trying to implement flagsmith or split io in his app um you know basically they both want you using java they think you should be using maven um uh, the documentation's not very useful <laughs> and uh basically you know why can't they just host it themselves, sort of strike three? So, yeah. So basically he walked through, and he also includes what's not included and may never, may never be, and what is included. You know, so rules engine, a DSL for defining flags as data, methods for flag crud and evaluation, and a comprehensive test suite. So I thought this was a, a good one since Adam Cameron was looking at it and looking at the tests. And they're talking about, we're talking test, test, test everywhere. So this is a good testing one. And you can see right here, the tests are currently passing. So if you do any work and with it, um, you can get that up and running. So it looks like uh, Dom Watson has also already contributed to it. Yeah. It's kind of cool. I never realized this. I've heard the word semaphore a lot in terms of programming. I never realized that the original definition of semaphore is a system of sending messages by holding the arms of two flags or poles in certain positions according to an alphabetic code. Which I, you know, you've seen like pictures of like, you know, a, a person with two flags and all different positions. Yeah. I never realized that was actually the original definition of semaphore. Of hmm. course, in computer science, a semaphore is a variable. This is from Wikipedia. Variable or abstract data type used to control access to a common resource by multiple processes 
and avoid critical section problems in a concurrent system such as a multitasking operating system, which of oh. course is the the use case I normally hear, uh, like semaphore locks or something in Java. But that's kind of cool. I like the the reference to the the yeah. flag based, you know, uh, signals. I didn't even know what it meant. I was actually going to ask you. So there you go. You answered it before I asked. We've learned so. all kinds of stuff today. Yep. Yeah, this is kind of a cool library. There's not a lot of uh, of kind of. I don't know if this is quite like the same as feature flags. I know that Ben the Dell's kind of played with some of that, but there's not a lot of libraries in this space right now. Um, yeah. When yeah. I've done similar things like this, I've just used just like a cold box, you know, config setting and just left it at that. Um, and if you look at the readme, Adam Tuttle actually has a little, you know, why not just use config settings, you know, and talks about why this yep. may uh, provide more flexibility, runtime changes and stuff. So that's. Yeah. That's I mean, you could flag it to a company or a user or, you know, there's different ways you can, you know, use your feature flag. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah. I like this. So he has like feature flags allow you to dynamically segment the user population. So you want to do something like, you know, we want 5% of our users or we want everybody in this company to get access to a particular feature. Or everyone um, who's accessed in the last week or, yeah, you can figure yeah. out who's your power users and hit them. And yeah, only people with this many projects or something, uh, depending on what you're doing. And yeah, we kind of get that um, with some of our, some of our clients will do things with Docker where this Docker image is used for these people. This one's used for those people. Cause we just use something with Nginx and, you know, split them based on cookies or whatever. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, this could be so, the same app. Kudos to Adam Tuttle, not only for coming up with a fun new library, but publishing it to ForgeBox. Yep. So I yeah. Yeah. And I like it. Helped him like figure it. that out. And of course, you know, it's, it's not that hard. He just he had to get his box that JSON set up, you know, created his ForgeBox account. Ran ForgeBox publish, bada bing, bada boom. He's yep. got his, his package published out there. So Yep, so hopefully we'll get a few more people looking at it, maybe some more contributors, and we'll uh, have a pretty cool package once it gets a little more development there. But uh, Yeah, and, and to be clear, this isn't a uh, this isn't a box module at all. It's just nope. a straight-up, you know, ColdFusion package. Um, but it's just on ForgeBox because that's where ColdFusion stuff deserves to be. Yep. For sure. We owe it to it. Your packages deserve to be on Forgebox. Yeah. Give them some cool friends. <laughs> okay. So that's our Forgebox module of the week, Semaphore. And uh, next up, we have our VS Code hints, tips, and tricks of the week. So this one uh, I thought was pretty GitHub interesting. Actions. Nice. Yeah. I didn't see this yet. So uh, this is not an official extension, but it's an unofficial extension to interact with GitHub Actions within VS Code. And I thought MS Build, GitHub, good time to talk about it. Uh, they may actually have something like this in the conference, but we're here presenting this instead. So we'll watch later. But um, yeah, so pretty cool. Um, the good thing features, one of the things I like is the autocomplete and documentation, um, you know, basically it has a built-in language server for full support for the workflow schema. So I know that with all these different workflows, you know, each one has their own slightly different syntax and slightly different stuff. But uh, yeah, so this one gives you some autocomplete when you're doing the YAML files. Uh, it has action parameters too. So, and so I assume GitHub has an API for all this? Um, the extension appears to be half just like, you know, autocomplete will help you manage your YAML files. But I mean, they're pulling in like the, the run statuses. You can see the, you know, current mm -hmm. status of the jobs running. And that's nice because, so for instance, I just, I sent a pull request, another pull request to Undertow, JBoss Undertow yesterday. Oh. 
Um, you know, and I did all of my work in, in uh, you know, my local editors, VS Code, my, you know, GitHub client. But then once I, you know, lobbed the pull request up onto GitHub.com, I had the tab open right here. Um, I had to sit here on the website on the tab to look at all their 80,000 GitHub actions that were all running and see which one failed and click into each of them and get the logs. And it's looking like with this extension, yeah, I could just follow the status and see which ones failed and get their logs right from there without having to kind of move my workflow over to a web browser. So, yep. And you can even uh, open the workflows and trigger them right from inside the, the actions inside of VS code too. So that's kind of cool. You can just trigger them. Um, But yeah, we can pin workflows so we can see which ones, uh, you know, running, you see the little CI build um, thing and it's got little check boxes and stuff. And yeah, so I mean, it's pretty nice for an unofficial little GitHub thing. I'm pretty impressed. So I predict Microsoft will acquire them within six months and then it'll be part of an official extension. Probably. I mean, they, they definitely have a lot of cool features that are built in and, um, but yeah, it's got 25, 26,000 installs already, you know, small amount of 20, stars, but 26,000 fans can't be wrong. Well, they can. We've, we've, we've proven that <laughs> well, with, we've, we've proven that with politics and the sports <laughs> and stuff, but, uh, <laughs> anyways, so that, that's <laughs> a really cool idea. I, I like that. You know, it's, yeah. it's funny. Like I've I started wanna... to use GitHub actions more and more and like not once have I thought to myself, man, I wish I could view these right here in VS code. And then seeing this, I'm like, that's genius. Why didn't I think of that? I know. I'm like, I wonder if GitLab, GitLab has one. I'd be using well, GitLab a lot more. I should check that exactly. out. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how many how many times have I had the GitLab, GitLab tab open? And after I commit my code, I got to switch over to GitLab and find the pipeline and hit refresh and watch the console logs. Like That's why I have yeah. more monitors. <laughs> why am I not just doing that right inside my IDE? Yeah. Nice. Exactly. So... Yep, so that is our VS Code hint, tip, and trick of the week. Uh, I will share these links to uh, the Forgebox and the VS Code hint, tip right now in the chat for those who want to check it out before waiting for the show notes to post. But next up, our final thing of the day is our Patreon supporters, where we get to thank them. But you want to tell them about some of those perks we added, Brad? What makes it cool oh, to be a patron? Oh, for you. Right. So um, to kind of help consolidate, you know, some people might say, well, I want to give on Patreon, but I'd also like to get a CFCast subscription, um, things like that. So if you are a Patreon supporter of a bronze level and up, um, you automatically get a Forgebox Pro um, account, which I don't have the the price off my head, but that's a a paid account. You get a CFCast subscription. Um, You get both of those if you're a bronze uh, or higher Patreon supporters. So you can kind of combine those together, support one thing, and you get you get the perks for the other stuff. Um, all Patreon supporters also have a profile badge in the community website. So that way, when you when you post on the Ordis community, and that's community.ordersolutions.com, you ask questions, you answer questions, you can have a little badge by your name that, that signals to everybody, hey, I'm extra cool, I'm a Patreon supporter. And uh, Patreon supporters have their own little private forum access on our community website as well. They can have internal discussions or we can, we might announce, you know, some product releases or some special deals uh, there first before they go public. So definitely um, recommend checking out our, uh, our packages, especially the ones that have some, some baked in perks. Yep. For sure. Okay. Brad, I think it's your turn to read the beautiful people's names. 
and the and the other ones too. <laughs> <laughs> and the and the not beautiful people. Um all right, thank you to our Patreon supporters, Don Bellamy, Eric Hoffman, David Bellinger, Gary Knight, Giancarlo Gomez, Jonathan Parrott, Mar- Mario Rodriguez, Jeffrey McGee of Sunstar Media, John Wilson from Snaptrix, Yogesh Mathur, Joseph Lamry, Ben Nadel, Brett Deline, Carl Von Stetten, Charlie Earhart, Dan Card, Daniel Garcia, uh, Didigo Lesnicki, Edgardo Cabezas, Jan Yannick, Jason Diger, Jeff McLean, Jeremy Adams, Jonas, Jonas Erickson, Jordan Clark, Kai Koenig, uh, Laxma Tirohara. There you go. You do it. Leon, Sir Mellis, Matthew Darby, Matthew Clemente, Mingo Hagen, Patrick Flynn, Ross Phillips. Is this me or is this list gotten longer? It has. It has. Scott Steinbeck, Stephanie Monge, Stephen Klotz, and Bill De Bruyne. So there you go. Big thanks yeah. to everyone helping uh, support the podcast and all of our open source products. Yep, for sure. So uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. I know that the MS Build conference is going on right now, so we thank you for joining us for a little bit here. And for those who are watching, uh, don't forget about that conference. Uh, so that's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Docker I think is on Wednesday. Uh, sorry, Thursday as well. So go check that out as well, and uh, we'll see you guys all next week. Bye. Bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io, where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Bluetree Audio.